This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The Bible begins with a serpent and ends with a dragon. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to come before you with some dragonizing serpentine tales that will help us to understand more easily what you and I are dealing with as we speak. In Genesis chapter 3, we know that no sooner were Adam and Eve married than the very next verse in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis says, Now the serpent. And it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field. In other words, he was full of guile and deception. And to get men to recognize God, but not the Lord, well, he was adept at that. A lot of people recognize God, as did Satan himself. But the problem is, they just don't have a fear of the Lord. They don't recognize God as God. Uh, but Satan had that understanding, serpent standing for Satan. And then in the end of the book, we find in the book of Revelation a reference to the dragon. The dragon then represents the Antichrist and his beast system, and power was given to the dragon to rule the world. So the beginning, the book begins with a serpent and ends with a dragon. Question, are they the same thing? Are they actually the same thing? I want you to think about that for a few moments, because today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about a very significant serpent story. That's right, a serpent story. Now, before we get into that, which is going to take us a little bit of time to lay the foundation for it, I am looking right now at the monstrous serpent. It's a python. Oh, yeah. You have boa constrictors, and you have pythons, and you have anacondas. This last weekend, right after having some dinner with my, two of my grandchildren, somehow the conversation turned to major, large beasts that were fearsome and what their sizes actually ended up being. And so there was a lot of discussion, and cell phones were being activated, uh, trying to find what the largest snake was and what the largest alligator or crocodile was. And here was the end of the story. We discovered that as far as history was concerned, the largest snake ever recovered was 30 feet, excuse me, 33 feet long and weighed over about 850 pounds, an anaconda. Well, that being said, the conversation turned to alligators and crocodiles. Now, how this conversation began to develop, I do not remember at all, but it did. And it was quite fascinating. Everybody got into it, was searching and trying to find out what the latest and the greatest was and to get pictures of these things that would come up readily on their cell phones. Well, the net result of the alligator-crocodile research ended up with a, I believe it was an alligator. 
Are you anchored to your seatbelt now? 27 feet long. So I began to pace out the room, the large room that we were in, and it ended up being 27 feet long. That was the longest alligator ever discovered. Now let's put this into perspective. An alligator 27 feet long and a anaconda 33 feet long. What do these animals do? What do they eat? How do they get to be so big? And here's the next question that I have for you. How does Satan get to appear so big in our estimation? What does he eat? What is causing him to not only lie, but to survive and to begin to have such immense power and dominion over our lives and over our country and over our nations that warnings went out over Scripture Even the Apostle Paul warned, he said, of the devil, the serpent, we're not ignorant of his devices. So, heads up, friends, we should not be ignorant of his devices. But one woman just didn't seem to get the message. And that's the story that I want to share with you here on Viewpoint today. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective Today is no exception, and it is conversation that could actually bring tremendous transformation in your life if, if you hear the real message of the python and the dragon, the serpent and the dragon. So I have a question for you before we go further. Do you sleep with serpents? You, you may laugh at me, but it's not a laughing matter, as one woman discovered. Do you sleep with serpents? Or, perhaps we could rephrase that, do you sleep with dragons, like a 27-foot alligator? Knowing that he got that big by eating something large on a continuing basis knowing that the serpent gains its monstrous length and girth. That snake that they discovered, the 30-foot snake, was three feet in diameter, not around in diameter. Now, that's some kind of serpent. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what the serpent looked like that met Eve in the Garden of Eden, but he must have been significant in some way, and somehow... Satan himself gave him the ability to speak, just like God gave the donkey the ability to speak to the prophet Balaam. Don't ask me exactly how that happened. I don't know, and neither do you. So you can theorize all you want, but there's some things we can't theorize about, and that's the reality that we're faced with in our lives by serpents and dragons. No, we're not talking about dungeons and dragons here today on Viewpoint. We're talking about something that really has far more significance in our lives, and you may not think so right now, but by the time we're through, you might realize 
you're sleeping with a serpent or with a dragon, maybe even both. Because in effect, it appears from Genesis to Revelation that the reference to the dragon is the same reference to the serpent, and indeed, somehow, they merge together. Now, perhaps in order to help us come to grips with the fear of the Lord as opposed to snakes and dragons, you might just want to get a copy of my book, The Secret of the Lord, because it's about restoring the fear of the Lord in our hearts and our lives. Because if we don't, you're going to find yourself sleeping with serpents and dragons. Oh, yes, you are. You may already be. And that's why we need to restore the fear of the Lord. It's a $22 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station, or any Anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today, as we launch into the balance of our program, I happen to go to the New World Encyclopedia on eBay to look up what a dragon is. Do you know what a dragon is? Well, you might have pictured what were supposed to be dragons, but where did they get the picture from? On what basis did they paint the picture of a dragon? Well, the reality is nobody has really seen a dragon, at least as has been pictured, in dragonology. The encyclopedia said this, the dragon is a mythical creature typically depicted as a large and powerful serpent or other reptile with magical or spiritual qualities. A large and powerful serpent or reptile. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never, never, never been attracted to the serpentine. That is, snakes, reptiles. I love French curves, and they're sort of serpentine, but... I do not like serpents. Never have and never will. They're fascinating behind strong glass cages. But up front, no way, no how. So, since even the dictionary or the encyclopedia says that there seems to be a link between the serpent and the dragon... That helps to put in perspective the bookends of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 starts with the serpent. Once we have a husband and a wife, the serpent enters into the scene. That's Satan. The emulation of Satan on terra firma. Then we shift completely over to the end of the book, and we find the book of Revelation talking about, in chapter 13, of the great dragon. The beast, Satan, is going to give his power to the dragon, excuse me, the dragon is going to give his power to the beast, 
the Antichrist. He's going to be like a massive serpent. So, are serpents good or bad? Are dragons good or bad? Well, one woman thought that serpents were exceptionally good. And I want to share her story with you, and I hope that you'll stay tuned because it's going to take it's going to take pretty much all this segment to get this story out to you. I hope you'll listen to the whole thing. Her name was Cassandra. Her heart was racing with disbelief as she stared at an ultrasound screen. And what she saw shattered her perception of her beloved pet snake. She thought Reggie was a wonderful snake. She took him to the vet, suspecting he might be ill or experiencing an unusual behavior, but the reality was far worse than anything she could have ever imagined. But her mind was somewhat in turmoil. How could she have been so blind to the true nature of her beloved pet? For weeks she had been unaware of Reggie's true intentions, sleeping soundly with him, curled around her body, and now the thought of it sent chills down her spine. She couldn't help but feel foolish for not recognizing the signs. The way Reggie had coiled around her, the way he had watched her with his penetrating gaze, she'd interpreted these actions as affection and loyalty. But sadly, the reality was far from comforting. The comforting idea of her snake watching over her during the night now seemed terrifying. What had she done? Well, she had become somewhat known in her tranquil little town of Bar Harbor. Everyone kind of knew everybody's business, and they knew about this solitary woman in her mid-30s with a penchant for privacy moved into the neighborhood with an enormous python named Reggie. So they talked about it. You might expect that they would. But despite the very wary glances and hushed conversations, Cassandra was undeterred. She adopted Reggie from an exotic pet rescue center after he had been abandoned by his previous owner. And their bond was unshakable. Her neighbors couldn't understand the connection she shared with the snake. They didn't notice the way Reggie's eyes seemed to glow with understanding with Cassandra spoke to him, or the way he would tenderly nuzzle her cheek with his scaly head, as if reassuring her that he was there for her. So a snake was an ideal companion for her in her modest home, she thought, as it required minimal care and didn't necessarily bark. It didn't bark like other neighbors' tiny dogs. And it hadn't caused any disturbances so far. Reggie had never made any attempt to hurt her at any of the guests that came to visit her. If only neighbors would cease their incessant, unwarranted cautioning about the snake. She had always housed her python in a vivarium, equipped with a heat lamp, and followed the standard practices for reptilian pets. But then she began to feel increasingly lonely. She decided to deepen their bond and take their relationship to the next level. She genuinely believed that they could strengthen their bond, and observing her neighbors in seemingly weak connection with her dog, which was left outside to sleep every night, it inspired Cassandra to come up with an idea. Well, in the effort to strengthen her bond with the snake and prove her devotion to Reggie, 
Cassandra decided to take their relationship to the next level. She began sleeping with Reggie, curled around her body, living, breathing, blanket that stretched from head to head, from head to toes. Night after night, the two would curl up together in Cassandra's bed. This is a true story. Reggie's steady, rhythmic breathing, lulling her to a deep, peaceful sleep, unlike anything she had ever experienced before. As the weeks went on, however, Cassandra noticed a troubling change in Reggie's behavior. He no longer showed interest in the meals that she was offering him, whether it was fresh chicken or even the favorite rabbit. One morning, his behavior was extremely concerning to her, so what was going on? Throughout the day, Reggie remained on her bed, refusing to eat and displaying more agitation than usual, especially when Cassandra attempted to move him back to the vivarium. She pondered if he was merely in a bad mood, maybe a bad hair day, I would say, or unwell. Noticing something peculiar about his appearance, she questioned whether it was her imagination or if he had been changing in size overnight. So she was concerned for his well-being and fearing that something might be seriously wrong. She decided to take him to the local veterinarian, Dr. Hansen, a middle-aged man known for his calm demeanor and expertise in treating exotic animals. There was undoubtedly something amiss with her beloved campaign, a companion. Upon arrival at the vet clinic, Dr. Hansen was visibly taken aback by Reggie's sheer size and the obvious affection between the snake and Cassandra. By the way, as I'm looking at this snake, it looks to me to be about 20, at least 20 feet long. He couldn't help but marvel at the unusual bond they shared, and listening to Cassandra explain the situation, Dr. Hansen agreed to examine Reggie. He suggested the most appropriate course of action would be to conduct an ultrasound of the snake's abdomen, as it might have ingested something unusual. So he conducted a series of tests, including blood work and an X-ray, and as the vet performed the ultrasound, his forehead furrowed into a frown, and he looked at his assistant, and that caused Cassandra's heart to race with anxiety. What could he possibly be observing? Well, the vet then inquired about a series of topics concerning the snake, including the feeding and sleeping patterns. At that point, Cassandra divulged her nightly bonding ritual. Cassandra, said the vet, I am afraid I have some unsettling news for you. Trying to maintain his composure, he decided not to show her, or actually he decided to show her the ultrasound. When he presented the ultrasound results, Cassandra was unable to comprehend what she was looking at. The python's stomach appeared nearly empty, leaving Cassandra puzzled about the issue. The vet inquired of the snake, typically stretched out along her body and coiled around her as she lay in bed. And Cassandra nodded, affirming, saying, yeah, well, yes, that's what, I, that's what we do. Well, the vet said, you see, Reggie's stomach is completely empty, which is highly unusual for a python of this size. I believe he's been preparing his body for a large meal, and that's why he hasn't been eating. Snakes are capable of consuming prey significantly larger than themselves, owing to the remarkable ability to unhinge their jaws. Cassandra couldn't believe it. What could he possibly be preparing to eat? I've tried offering him various foods, and he's refusing them all, she stuttered. Dr. Hansen hesitated, glancing at the massive python before his eyes. His voice was heavy with concern as he said, I think Reggie has been sizing you up as his prey. 
By stretching out alongside Cassandra, the python had actually been assessing her dimensions. Essentially, Reggie was rehearsing how to approach his next substantial meal. He'd been biding his time, waiting for the ideal moment to capture his prey. And Cassandra's heart sank. She couldn't believe her ears. She stammered, that's impossible. Reggie would never hurt me. We have a special bond. He's my companion, my friend. But Dr. Hansen sighed and replied, I understand how you feel, but Reggie is still a wild animal, and his instincts are strong. I urge you to reconsider your sleeping arrangements and take this seriously to your own safety. A shiver, you might imagine, ran down her spine when she realized that her beloved Reggie might have been preparing to consume her while she slept. It was hard to fathom that what had she had considered bonding was nothing more than Reggie assessing her as a potential prey. The notion that she had contemplated whether the snake was watching over her at night now seemed disturbing. In truth, he had been watching and patiently waiting for his next meal. And as Cassandra left the clinic with Reggie, her mind raced with a mix of fear, disbelief, and heartache. She struggled to reconcile the snake she loved with the predator Dr. Hansen had described. As she pondered the situation, she knew that she had to make a difficult decision. Was it worth risking her life to maintain the bond she shared with Reggie, or should she take the necessary precautions to protect herself? Despite her protest, Cassandra couldn't ignore the facts. Dr. Hansen explained that pythons were known to be opportunistic hunters, and Reggie's behavior was consistent with that of a snake preparing for a big meal. So he urged her to reconsider her living situation with Reggie, suggesting she find a more suitable home for him. What would she do? What should she do? So she devised a plan to test Reggie's intentions. She placed a life-size mannequin in her bed, covering it with her scent. Then she hid in the corner of the room, watching Reggie's every move. Reggie slithered toward the bed, eyeing the mannequin, Cautiously, he began to coil around the lifeless figure, his body tightening with each loop. Cassandra heard her heart pounded in her chest as she realized Dr. Hansen's warning was true. As Reggie tightened the grip around the mannequin, the unmistakable sound of cracking plastic echoed through the room. Cassandra stifled a gasp, her eyes filling with tears, and she knew she couldn't deny it any longer. Reggie, her beloved python, had been preparing to consume her all along. So with heavy heart, she contacted an exotic pet rescue center and arranged to them to pick up the new and appropriate python for a new home. And she went on feeling lonely now that she couldn't do a cuddle every night with the serpent or dragon. As you've been listening to this story, are you hearing the Holy Spirit making any application to your life? If you're spiritually minded, you have. If you're not, the only thing that happened to you was the strange tale of a woman essentially making love with her snake. 
No, it wasn't sexual. It was just consensual. In other words, she thought she was getting solace and sleep and peace and joy and fraternity by cuddling with a serpent. Question. Are you cuddling with the serpent? Don't answer too quickly. Most Christians are. In one way or another, they're cuddling with the serpent. And that's why the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, look, we are not ignorant of his devices. Don't do it. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismar. Viewpoint concerning what we're talking about here today is determining the destiny of untold millions of people, including professing Christians. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. Maybe you still do. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Well, I wonder to what extent many are singing the song like this. Satan loves me, this I know, for my feelings tell me so. He will take away my fears. so that I will have no tears. Yes, Satan loves me. Well, for a while. Until he has seduced you to completely and fully trust him. And at that point, you will no longer be able to sing, yes, Jesus loves me, because it's too late. The serpent will have already squeezed the life out of you. Just like the serpent the python did out of that mannequin that replaced the young lady that thought her relationship with the python was so sweet. Eve thought the same thing in the garden. Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. And the serpent said, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the, that the serpent presented a feel-good message, that the tree must be good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave to her husband, he did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened, and all of a sudden, they knew that they were naked. They were just not naked before each other. They were now naked before God. And therein lay the problem. God wanted them to walk shamelessly before him, clothed in righteousness. But instead, the serpent subtly diverted the focus. And it seemed so good. It felt so good. It looked so good and enticing. But the end thereof was death. So they began to accuse one another. The woman said, that serpent, he, he's the one that deceived me. And the man, Adam, said, the woman you gave me, she's the one that gave me the tree and I did eat. And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. Here's our, here's our problem, friends. The rest of the Bible is all based upon the beguiling of the serpent. All of the history of Israel is based upon the beguiling of the serpent, even with a chosen people. God chose them not, before, not because they were so wonderful or the strongest people on earth or the richest people. He chose them because, well, they were nondescript. He chose them because he chose them to love them. But they didn't choose him. They said they did at Mount Sinai. They entered into a betrothal arrangement with God at Mount Sinai. And he said, if you'll do, if you'll keep my covenant, all this, then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. And they said, I do. And then they didn't. Why didn't they? Because they cuddled with the serpent. They saw the things that appeared to be good out there. That's why Balaam, the prophet, was able to discover to the Midianites how to take dominion and control over the Jewish people, over the Hebrew people. When they couldn't win them in battle, they could win them by seducing their spirits to live contrary to the word, will, and ways of God in idolatry and sexual promiscuity. Now, if I were to present to you the statistics of our time related to the church professing Christians in America, as it relates, for instance, to sexual behavior, 
you might be shocked. You might just be shocked. Because actually, we are, have walked in the pathway of Jezebel, who is a female manifestation of the serpent with Israel. Seducing God's people into idolatry and into sexual promiscuity. And if the church can be so seduced, is it any wonder that our whole country has gone that way? Is it any wonder that we're facing a massive, massive uh, unwed pregnancy debacle in our country? Is it shocking that 70% of all African-American babies are born out of wedlock after huge numbers of them have been aborted? Because the abortion rate within the black community is much higher than any other people group in the country. So, in effect, the whole black community has been seduced by the serpent, swallowed by the dragon. And the pastors will not talk about it. Apparently, they love the serpent, too. And the same is true. Not to the same extent, but to a significant extent among all other people groups in this country. Brown, white, yellow, whatever other colors there are. The problem is universal. We love Satan. We dance with the serpent. And then we can't understand why he seems to be swallowing up our young so that now, among Generation Z, there are very few godly people left. They don't want to be part of our churches. They don't want to be part of, uh, of our worship. They don't want to be part of the Bible. They don't respect any of it because they see that their parents and their grandparents have uh, slept with the serpent, and they don't want it. They see the results of it, but they don't quite connect the dots as to how it happened. That's where we are. And put it this way. If indeed we're on the near edge of the second coming, can you imagine how dangerous this situation is? I mean, this is like that 30-some-year-old young lady sleeping with her python, not realizing that one day from the time she took him into the vet, he would have swallowed her alive. That's how dangerous it is. You don't know how soon the second coming of Christ is. It's soon and very soon. Andre Crouch told us that back in the 70s. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 22, I come quickly. A day with the Lord is a thousand years. It's been 2,000 years almost. Almost exactly 2,000 years since Jesus' death and resurrection. 2030 will be 2,000 years. Two days. Can you understand now why yours truly here on this radio program pleads 
the cause of a lifetime to a jury of my peers, the American people, but more specifically, professing Christians in this country and their pastors. This is not a game, my friends. It's not a game. Now, we're dealing with serpents everywhere. For instance, right now, I'm looking at a piece that just came out today from Washington, D.C. U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, a doctor, discussed the barbaric attack by Hamas terrorist organization on the Israeli people. He slammed President Biden for his lack of leadership and lackluster response since the war broke out. He said, what I see right now is the White House trying to cover up its mistakes. The most pro-Iranian president in American history, he says he wants to help Israel, but he's actually keep keeping to help Iran, and this is the next chapter, because Americans need to understand that Iran is the head of the snake, that they're responsible for funding Hamas, arming them and planning the massacre as well. So he's unleashing $6 billion to feed the snake. When he says he's trying to protect Israel. He goes on to say again, Iran is the head of the snake here. If we we have to cut the head off the snake, if we have any need to go after Iran. They're the largest, as you know, the state funder of terrorism around the world. They're that there again. They're funding, they're arming, they're training, they're planning these attacks. Friends, you can't play footsie with a serpent. He's wild, but he's also clever, subtle, and he's after you. Do you realize that? Maybe you do now. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. First the servant slithers around you and cuddles you and in a strange sort of way makes him feel like he loves you. With a love like that, you know you can't be sad. You should be glad. At least somebody loves me. At least Satan loves me. 
At least he's trying to provide what I want. At least he's trying to fulfill my uh, feelings, respond to my feelings. Nobody else wants to do that. I mean, even these people in the churches, maybe, or in the Bible, or even this guy on the radio today is saying, you know what? It's not about your feeling good. It's about your being good. I didn't want to hear that. Satan tells me I should feel good. Mm Mm-hmm. As he cuddles himself around you, it's a strange sort of warmth, a strange sort of cuddle. But you begin to get used to it. And even if it tightens just a little bit around you, it feels so comforting. Even though you don't realize that he's ready to squeeze the life out of you at the moment of opportunity. At the moment of opportunity. You know, if you go to the scriptures, you find that there are even Pharaoh was referred to as a dragon. And the dragon is another euphemism, euphemistic name for the serpent. At least that's what the encyclopedia says. Looking at it again, a mythical creature typically depicted as a large and powerful serpent or other reptile with spiritual or magical qualities. Hmm. The Bible mentions dragons. The Bible mentions serpents. And the book begins with the story of the serpent and ends with the story of the dragon. So let's go there. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. You see, these things that happen right before our eyes, you think that everything that's important on the news is just facts about the Middle East or just facts about uh, the economy or just facts about the border and so on. Those are important things. There's no question about it. But sometimes we can get much more potent and piercing uh, leadership and insights from something like the Python story. So we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 13, that infamous chapter that brings us to the mark of the beast, which we really don't want to hear about, but everybody knows about. They know about it, And they fear the mark, but they don't fear the God that says there's going to be a mark. And so, therefore, their minds and their hearts, notwithstanding their fear of taking the mark, they would rather feel warm and cuddly as Satan begins to wrap his dragonizing uh, arms around them to prepare them for yielding to his seduction until he strikes like a dragon, like a serpent. Up until then, he promises peace. Peace, peace, when there will be no peace. The prophet Daniel told us all about it. He did. He told us all about it. He told us about the last great power, the Roman Empire, that will crush everything around it like with iron, an iron fist. But actually, 
the Roman Empire seemed to have disappeared for a very long period of time, like about 2,000 years. The persecution of the Roman Empire ceased right about the time of Constantine, in around 323 A.D. So the church decided to take over for the serpent's leadership of the Roman Empire and became known as the Roman Catholic Church. And the serpent made his way in and through the Roman Catholic Church and wound his tightening grip around the various popes and prelates until finally the current poem comes right out and clearly says he's embraced the principles of Satan, of the serpent. He's become the instrument of the dragon and is encouraging those in his flock to do the same. To do exactly what Balaam led the Moabites to do, to embrace idols and to engage in sexual immorality. That would crush their relationship and the warmth of their relationship with the God who made and preserved them a nation so that they would embrace the false hope and slithering warmth of the arms of the serpent. So gradually, as the prophet Daniel foretold, he would gain the dominion by by flattery, just like he did, the Satan did with Eve in the garden. Told her what she wanted to hear, And she took it at face value. So she lost whatever fear she had of God and wanted what she wanted, no matter what God had said. And that's the problem, friends. We've swallowed. The serpent is swallowing us. We are at the point where he is finally wrapping himself around the church, around pastors, about priests, and around popes, and around all who purport to be agents of righteousness, and he is squeezing whatever limited righteousness there is in them because they have given themselves over to the warmth of his fellowship. So today, a warning is going out from this spiritual vet right here. This spiritual veterinarian right here on this program today. Do you not see the condition of that serpent that he is ready, prepared to devour you? You must get rid of that serpent and all who are with him in your house. Some people have basements and uh, underneath their houses that are literally serpent nests. You may even have one right inside your house, a spiritual nest. I'm not talking now of actual snakes. I'm talking about spiritual snakes. You have allowed the dragon to enter your house. And it seems like it's making you more peaceful for the moment. But you do not realize that he's preparing to strike a deadly blow. 
And it seems, according to Revelation 13, that ultimately this serpent, the dragon, is going to make war with the saints to overcome them. That's what it says in verse 7. And all that dwell upon the earth are going to worship him. They think he's pretty cool. So if anybody has an ear to hear, let him hear. And then comes his false prophet, and he is going to be the final seducer of the people on the planet by reason of setting up an economic system by which no man will be able to buy or sell unless they pledge their ultimate allegiance to the dragon, to the serpent, and his kingdom. And that pledge will be made by receiving a mark in the right hand or the forehead. Exactly what that will look like, I can't tell you. It would appear to be some sort of a chip device. Bill Gates certainly seems to have that in mind. For he got a patent, or sought a patent for it, in 2020. But that's where we are. So the final warning that God brings to you and to me is in Revelation 14. It says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having an everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying, now this is what the angel says. He doesn't use the word serpent. He doesn't use the word dragon. But it was talking about setting your mind and your heart on that which is contrary to the serpent and the dragon. And here's what the angel says. Three things with a loud voice. The first is fear God. See, that's what, that's what Eve did not do in the garden. That's what uh, Adam did not do in the garden. And that meant that they cuddled themselves with the serpent and actually ended up giving glory to the serpent and thereby committed high treason against the God of creation. So Jesus came and became the only obedient Israelite that ever lived and through his death and resurrection gave you and I the hope of salvation of being redeemed from the curse of that the serpent brought. So the angel says, number one, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth. Three things. Fear God, give glory to him and not to the slithering serpent, and worship him that made heaven and earth. Everyone who has bought into evolution as the creation ordinance for the existing of life has bought into the serpent's deception. That's why this last message from the angel strikes a death blow to evolution as the means whereby God created 
It's the angel says, worship him that made heaven and earth. Worship him that made heaven and earth. Not some slithering microorganisms in the dark of night that came together surreptitiously to form life and life and life and life and life until humankind suddenly appeared on the scene. God had a purpose, and he created. He created human beings in his image, and if you believe in evolution, you cannot believe that human beings were created in his image. Therefore, you have already disqualified yourself from the kingdom of God. You may not hear anybody say it that way, but you cannot worship him that made heaven and earth and still believe in evolution. Even Charles Darwin knew that when he came up with that theory, he was, in effect, crucifying Jesus. Now, we have a choice. You see, God is merciful. He's a loving God, but he, because he is God and he's a father, he wants us to have a warm, trusting relationship with him. And that's the issue. You can't trust the serpent and his de- uh, deceptive devices and trust God at the same time. Have you bought into the various deceptions of the age? Multiculturalism, religious pluralism, political correctness. Have you bought into all of the sexual perversions, including the starting with divorce and remarriage and all of those things? Have you bought into those things? You're already being snuggled by the serpent. How far are you going to let that go? Get a copy of my book, The Secret of the Lord. The Secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. $15 will put that wonderful hardback book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 